Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Desk Report brought to you by the Daily Emerald. I'm Aaron. We're here with Brady and Brendan again, and we're bringing on Kiji to talk about uh, Oregon football and collegiate football as a whole. That's all we have for you guys uh, this week. There, before we get into the collegiate football landscape, just got to mention one thing. Oregon, UCLA, Oregon's getting game day for the first time in, what is it, guys, four years, five years? I think I saw it since 2018. Okay, four years. Um, and, you know, it seems like there's a buzz around the campus. As we walk around campus today, you see them setting up for it in front of Lillis. What are some of the things, I guess, around campus that you guys are hearing through the grapevine in terms of excitement, in terms of plans for going to game day? Because I got an email today that said the, ga- the gates are going to open at 4 a.m. So just, Keiji, we can start with you. What are you planning to do for, for game day? And what are some of the excitements you've heard before uh, this, this weekend? Well, I unfortunately won't be able to make it to game day. I have to work at 6.30 in the morning on Saturday, but I will be shadowing with Fox, so I am excited for that opportunity. However, I am hearing a ton of excitement about the toga theme that they're bringing out for game day, you know, as a tribute to Animal House. So I know Eugene will be electric from 4 a.m., till the the game ends when the final whistle is blown so i know everyone's excited hopefully the rain doesn't pour down too much but it's going to be it's going to be a fun day it's interesting how they have the toga theme for the for the game day but they also have the pink theme for the actual game so it's like you're going to be if, if people are sticking to theme you're going straight from wearing toga to wearing pink just i mean you do bring the clothes with you to game day how does this work yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be partaking in any of the toga stuff because, you know, rainy Saturday, 5 a.m. I mean, there's just so many variables here. But, yeah, I'm really excited for it. Uh, I got to pace myself, though, because I won't get to sit in the cushy press box like you find folks. I'll be down with the people. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it, though, definitely. It's another aspect of rain. So, it's going to be a chaotic Saturday. Well, I mean, it, it might rain pregame, but it never rains at Autzen. So it's true. Regar- huh. No, it does not. No, I, I think game day is going to be a lot of fun. I think that the, the campus is happy to have it. The students are happy to have it. The sports fans of this sports school are thrilled that game day is back. But come Saturday morning, I think people are going to be cold. People are going to be wet. But I think Eugene is going to be an absolute party. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. So let's let's get back on track towards the actual sports that happened last week. Um, first game before we hit on Pac-12, biggest game of last weekend, uh, Tennessee-Alabama ended on a last-second field goal. Well, I guess a series of last-second field goals. Alabama missed, uh, and then a few plays later, Tennessee knuckleballed uh, a game-winning like 40-yarder, and what ensued was one of the most chaotic field rushing that I have ever seen. They, I think right away, I don't know if you guys saw this, but someone like unstrapped the Velcro for the uh, goalpost, and then it got you know carried around and carried out of the stadium. And based off the comments that I read, it ended up in some river that they have in, in Tennessee. Um, so just a crazy atmosphere in Knoxville, Tennessee, over the weekend. Whenever you beat Alabama, that's that's what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's always fun as a as a football fan to see Alabama lose. But what what I thought was really interesting was the fines that came from this. Um, the SEC is fining Tennessee two hundred thousand dollars for storming the field, and it's going to be an extra fifty thousand dollars to replace those goalposts. But I saw a video of someone asking. I think it was the Tennessee president up in the press box. They're like, "How much is this going to cost?" And he goes, "It doesn't matter. We can do this every every year." I saw uh, that. Yeah, all that to beat Bam, which is really cool. But what but what excited me was that was last week's college game day that was where they decided to go they were in knoxville and if that 
game has anything to say about this game this weekend, Watson's going to be in for a show. They better cement those goalposts. They <laughs> bet it right now. Yeah. And, and the, the tickets for the students sold out before they were even available for people who don't have the sports pass. I don't, in my four years being here, I don't remember that ever happening. This is the first time Oregon has hosted a top 10 opponent since I've gone to school here. So I think that this is the most rocking I'm going to see Austin. It's going to be the most packed I've seen the student section. And I definitely think, you know, they have that, that Pringle format in the stadium, just like in the Seattle Seahawks stadium where the noise permeates throughout very well. It starts on the field, works its way throughout the stadium. And I think it'll be really loud because of that in the stadium on Saturday. The atmosphere might be so cool, we might have students after shout. <laughs> well, that only happens because Oregon's been blowing the opponents out. Still. And one more game we're going to get to, or we, I guess two more games. The next one, um, just because I don't want to leave this one for our last game, it's not good enough. We're going to touch on Colorado Cal first. Uh, <laughs> the Buffaloes are no longer the only FBS team that without a win. They beat Cal 20-13 to 13 in overtime. Uh, it was... You know, they say a win is a win. This one was one of the uglier ones you'll see all season. But what did you guys see from this game, Brady? I know you're a resident, <laughs> not Boulder or not Colorado fan, but Colorado, just like resident Colorado uh, follower. Yeah, I saw just a huge sigh of relief. Um, obviously, after firing, firing Carl Durrell, they had the new coach take over, Mike Sanford. And within, they had two weeks to prepare for Cal, right? With the bye week, with. The home field, the boulder, the altitude, you kind of had this feeling that if Colorado's going to win a game this year, this is going to have to be the one it is. And for them to come out, like you said, it wasn't pretty, but no one said it had to be. Um, getting the win in overtime, but what I saw was another field storming. Colorado fans just thrilled to not be the laughing stock of the Pac-12 anymore. Um, but in what was such a gross game between two not very good teams, it's encouraging for Oregon, because Colorado, and after this UCLA game, Colorado and Cal are the next two teams on the schedule. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think Oregon you know, fans had to fret about those two games. One thing I want to touch on before we go on to the last game we were going to talk about, just these field rushings, I think it's something that should be justified. And I'm not saying that Colorado's first win of the season isn't a justified field rushing. Oh, I'll say it. You can you can make that decision for yourself. But what do you guys what do you think about these field rushings? I mean, I think if Oregon beats UCLA and it's a close game, we'll see the field get rushed at Austin, even though they're pretty secure about not letting that happen. But what do you think about f- field rushes like the one at Colorado versus Cal? I mean, like you said, a win is a win. They gotta celebrate whenever they can. I absolutely <laughs> respect it. I um I do think you know if. Austin fans were to do it, at least keep the field intact. Like, in addition to the goalposts, I know some of Tennessee's end zone was, like, ripped out in the, like, checkerboard part, mm-hmm. which is just makes things hard. I don't even think they have a venue to play in for their next game now. Because really? Or, wow. So, rushing the field's always always fun. And we this will probably be our best opportunity, besides maybe Utah or UW, mm-hmm. depending on the game. But um, This is hard. Back to the Tennessee thing. Did you see that it registered as an earthquake? Really? Yeah. Wow. Neyland Stadium got so loud at the end of that game with all the field storming and stuff, they actually picked it up on, I don't know, I, I'd be, whatever the proper term is. I want to see what it what was rated at. It was, it was a low, it was low, but it, but it registered. Um, That's crazy. Which was interesting. No, and I, I agree. I think that any time that you beat a top 10 team, storming the field is absolutely acceptable. I think when you're 0-5 and you beat Cal at home, it's not as impressive, not as good of a time to storm the field. But you know what? Good for you, Colorado. You're not the laughing stock of college football anymore. <laughs> Will that be Colorado's last win this season? Yes. Okay. 
Passionately, yes. I mean, they still have they still have Arizona State, which they could win, but they won't. They still have to play USC. They still have to play Utah. They still have to play Oregon. They still, I believe, and I believe they still have to play Washington. Um, that was it. If you were a Cal fan who made the trip out uh, east, I I hope you had a fun plane ride home. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about this this game um, before we move on to the last one that we're talking about? That's about it. So for the last one, this was uh, you know another one of the. Last Saturday, Oregon wasn't playing, and I, I this was the first time I got to sit back and relax and watch college football. It was a great product. There were some very good games, some very highly ranked opponents played against one another. One team that I you know didn't realize was actually legit is Syracuse, and Syracuse is going to play uh, Clemson. They're ranked like top, I think they're 14 now in the, in the country. I don't think they'll test Clemson, but Syracuse has never had a, a relevant football team since I've been alive, it feels like they play in the same stadium as their basketball team, um, which seems really confusing to me. But I guess it works out. One time I saw a friend there and I was on FaceTime with him and it, it was literally like he was it looked like he was in like a basketball stadium like Matthew Knight, but they were playing football. Um, anyways, off track, USC, Utah. This came down to the last second, just like the, these past few games we've talked about. It was 43-42. Utah ended up winning. Um you know, last second, Cameron Rising came through for them uh, after some, I guess, question marks he's had throughout the season. And there were a few questionable roughing the passer calls that that kind of muddied this game. But what did you guys see from that USC-Utah game? I saw the Cameron Rising game. <laughs> I mean, he threw for a handful of touchdowns. He ran for a, for two more, I think, and he... Uh, he scored a crucial, crucial two-point conversion because that was the that was the deciding factor of this game. It was all touchdowns, and then you Utah scored with I think less than a minute left, maybe forty some seconds, and it was do we kick this and play for overtime or do we go for the kill with USC right now? And they called up his number because he'd been the guy all game, and he punched it in, gave Utah a big win, which was one that we were talking about last week. We were talking about, is Utah still the Utah we knew from last year? And I think that this win screamed yes. Now, two concerning things about this is a a Pac-12 is very known for having solid defenses, and 42-43 does not say good defense at all. Um, It says that Caleb Williams threw for 381 yards and five touchdowns, and that wasn't enough to get the job done. So with a high-powered offense like Oregon has this is good news for when they play Utah down the road I loved that decision to go for two I I thought I agree I thought it depended on the time uh if there was like a minute 30 left in the game you probably don't go for it um because it's like what's the point they still have another chance so why 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 take a chance at not winning the game because you're not winning the game if you go for until you miss it and then there's still a minute 30 left but yeah, that, that was the play of the game. It, it came down to that play, and I do respect it. I like when teams do that, especially when it's like you're the underdog. And, you know, it happens a lot in the NFL when teams are playing against Mahomes, and you don't want to give Mahomes a chance in the, in, in the overtime. But, um, yeah, yeah. I, so I, I definitely like that decision for, for Utah. Yeah, for another sure. thing to look at, too, is what's been a common theme recently this season is the officiating from the Pac-12. It's like they have they missed a holding call on SC that easily could have been a safety, given Utah points and the ball back. There's also the questionable rough in the passer that I personally think really could have gone either way. But at the end of the day, it's super tough to play in Salt Lake City. We know that as Duck reporters and fans. Um, and, and Utah definitely isn't going anywhere. And neither is SC. This is a little bump in the road, but I'm not 
I won't be surprised if they'll be back in the slightest. They, you know, they're still loaded with talent. They did lose Jordan Addison, which is a big blow to them. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> going forward, still, I think a four-man race between us, UCLA, Utah, and SC. Yeah, uh, one more stat line I'd like to bring up from this game: um, Utah's Dalton Kincaid. Oh, 16 receptions for 234 yards and a touchdown. It's crazy. That's unreal. Yeah. I don't see a, a receiver on this Oregon roster that comes close to putting that up in a single game. No, it's insane. Is, that's unreal. Is, is, is a game like that enough to get you national attention when it comes to potential draft? I, I would Absolutely. I would assume so. Yeah. One I mean, game like that. I, mean, he Is caught, that I don't think he's had one. I think he's had. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not familiar with. Obviously, he hasn't year, had, but. you know, games like that. But I, I remember him tormenting Oregon for sure. Yeah. Well, and these are the games that those guys look to. Is big ranked matchups like this, and yeah, he caught over half of Rising's passes. So definitely <laughs> a big statement. But a question for you guys: If Oregon were to beat UCLA this weekend, how much does that change your outlook on the Pac-12 South in particular? Uh, Brady, I want to go to you because I know you had the power rankings. I still think that the South is significantly better than the North. Um, I think when you look at some of the weaker teams, they are in the North, whether that's your Stanford, your Cal. Washington State's got a couple bad losses now. Um, So I still think the the South is stronger. I'm still not going to be surprised if at the end of the year the Pac-12 championship consists of two teams from the South. But it would be a, a win this week probably gives Oregon... The, the a leash of one loss. If Oregon beats UCLA, they can probably afford to lose one more game down the stretch here and be okay, especially if it is to one of these powerful Pac-12 South teams. I think that's what we had talked about before. If Utah had lost this game, they would have been they would have no chance to make it to the Pac-12 championship because of the new format. I mean, even I mean, even with the old format, a loss to USC would have hurt them because they would have been two games behind USC then. But with this win. It, it evens them up with USC and it puts them one behind Oregon and UCLA. And then after this game, you know, whoever wins between Oregon and UCLA will be tied with Utah. So, those, so three of those four, you know, presumably top teams in the Pac-12 will all have one loss. Yeah, I, I think that Utah losing this game was best case scenario for Oregon. Um, because that way, down the line, this season, Oregon doesn't have USC on the schedule, but they do have Utah. Down the line, should they be able to beat Utah that's going to be a more impressive win because uh, that would give Utah their second conference loss as opposed to if USC had won this game, Oregon would have beaten them for their third conference loss. Having Utah as good as they can be going into that, I think it's late November game, Mm -hmm. will be the best scenario for Oregon to get a win there. I think they also have to hope the USC wins out because because if they play USC as a top 10 team in the Pac-12 tr- championship, that would also look good. You know, you let's say hypothetically Oregon gets, you know, a top 12 Utah team in in their last game of the season. Utah's last game of the season? Second last. Second, second last. last. Oregon, State, oh, Oregon State, last. State. So they get a top 12 Utah team in the second to last game of the season. They go on the road, beat their rival, and then you get a top 10 USC team. So I think that's the best good case for scenario. the resume, yeah. And yeah. don't forget the BYU matchup earlier. That's yeah. that'd be what four ranked wins. <sighs> yeah, but that I mean the BYU one looks looks worse and worse every week. It does. Then they went and lost to Notre Dame. Notre Dame lost to Stanford. They lost to Arkansas as well. Mm-hmm. Arkansas is not bad. Well, yeah, but they're good. Arkansas was like Arkansas was ranked tenth like four oh. weeks ago, and I don't think they've won a game since that. So we'll move on to the Oregon UCLA game. This is you know this is probably the biggest home game Oregon's had since I've been a student here. There's so many storylines. Chip Kelly returning, 
Uh, and this is one other thing. This is the first time since since Chip Kelly has left Oregon that he's found success. Basically, like he had to rebuild the whole UCLA program. This is the first time they've actually had a successful, sustained successful successful season. You know, he didn't really work out in the professionals, uh, and he, with two opportunities, and then UCLA, it's been a rough go. Uh, but he kind of was rebuilding for this season. Uh, I think everybody looked at it as a rebuilding process. And, you know, this is the biggest, this is probably their biggest game in the last four years as well. So, you know, two two really, really good quarterbacks are going to go at it on Saturday. Bo Nix has come a long way since the first game of the season. Uh, and just, Keiji, I'll go to you first. What are some things you're looking for? I know you're writing a piece on how Oregon's going to have to stop that running game. What are some of the things you're looking at in this game? Yeah, it's exactly that, is that running game. Zach Charbonnet has been lights out since he transferred from Michigan two years ago. Um, he's a powerful runner. He can make you miss. He'll bounce off you. And DTR, he's a Heisman favorite at this point. I believe has fifth or sixth best odds in the country. Um, you'll, you can read that, about that in my piece as well. Their UCLA's run game is second best in the conference, 20th best in the FBS, but Oregon's is first in the conference and 10th of the FBS. So, you know, it's it's going to be a good back-and-forth game. I think it's going to be more of a shootout than we think, even though the other storyline to look at is UCLA has the second-best run defense in the pack and Oregon is the first. So, you know, it, there's a lot of variables here. I truly think the home field advantage will end up prevailing um, in the end. And uh, I just, I also just have to, not to slight UCLA in any way, but sure they did beat Washington, and who was 15th at the time, but they lost two straight since then, or they lost that game and then uh, went on to lose to ASU on the road, which is a disappointing loss. They did get back in the win column this week with their 10-point win over Arizona, which would have liked to be, I would have liked to see them win by more, especially at home. But UCLA also hasn't played on the road except for Boulder, and we were just talking about their crowd and, you know, how they're not a very good football program. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think UCLA know, really knows what they're in for coming into Autzen, and um, they haven't seen a team as good as, as the Ducks. So. Yeah, I mean, they, they did play very well and defeat um, Utah at home, but again, that, that was at home. And I, I did see a thing that a, a tweet that said that UCLA's been pumping in crowd noise um, for their mm. practices this week. They're getting ready for an Autzen crowd that's going to be rocking. And that actually brings me to, to talk about something, too, with the ticket sales. Um, Aaron, you had mentioned how, how student tickets were sold out before anyone that didn't have the athletic pass could get any. I remember there was a lot of stuff going around on Twitter before the BYU game because that was going to be this this ranked matchup, ranked matchup, and there were still a lot of empty seats available day of game. Um, and I remember Oregon caught a lot of flack for that, saying, hey, this is arguably the biggest home game we've had in years. Why are there still all these open seats? And to not see that for this U- for this UCLA game adds to your point, KG, that I think that this Austin Stadium is going to be is going to be packed. It's going to be rocking. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to watch the quarterback, <laughs> the two quarterbacks that are playing, and the quarterback comparison. I mean, Dorian <coughs> Thompson Robinson's coming in. People say he's been hit or miss this year, but at the end of the day, no. he's ranked fifth in the nation in co- in passer rating. I mean, mm-hmm. the dude is good. And these are two quarterbacks that can not only throw the ball. We've seen both of them be able to demonstrate that multiple times, but they can run it. These two quarterbacks combined have 12 rushing touchdowns this year. They are a wet. There's some. There are two guys that you have to worry about at all times. Whether they're going to beat you deep or if they're going to beat you with their legs. Both these quarterbacks are going to be on full display on Saturday, and I think it, that is going to lead to a shootout, like you were saying, KG. I think uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson. You know, is still 
viewed with the perception of the past years that he's had at UCLA and their record, I I think he's a far better player than any other year that we've seen him. One of the things I heard at practice yesterday, Casey Rogers, defensive tackle for Oregon, said that, and Casey played at uh, Nebraska last year, uh, and he played against Justin Fields when Justin Fields was at Ohio State. He said the last guy he saw play like Dorian Thompson-Robinson was Justin Fields, who we know Justin Fields, what he's shown on the NFL, hasn't been you know that great. But what he was in college was you know one of the best collegiate quarterbacks of that season. He got drafted at 11th pick for the Bears, pretty t- pretty high up. I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but just to get that type of praise from a defensive tackle who's you know been in collegiate football for five for five six years, that's really high praise. Dor- like. I think Dorian Thompson Robinson is the best quarterback, after, you know, that one of the best that Oregon's going to see this whole season. I don't really want to compare him to past quarterbacks. I mean, uh, Jalen Hall's pretty good. Uh, Stetson Bennett was also pretty good. You know, Oregon's had some good quarterbacks on their schedule, but Dorian Thompson Robinson's up there with the best of them. And it generally yeah. doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. Um, that's another thing with these two quarterbacks. They have a combined five interceptions on the year. Uh, Bo Nix is three and Thompson Robinson is two, but th- these are they're, they're not going to make mistakes, and especially DTR. It's going to be a real struggle for the Ducks. It's going to be a quarterback like you're mentioning of a caliber that they haven't seen yet this year. Absolutely, I mean you're comparing Fields, comparing him to Fields, who was a Heisman finalist, like guy mm-hmm. tore it up at Ohio State, and you know DTR, I, he came back for a reason. He's now fifth year. Obviously, like you said, he's been hitting on on a different level, and he he knows this offense now. He's it's second nature to him, and uh, on top of that, what you mentioned, what you talked about with Knicks is, is there he's a threat with his legs. He's literally leading the conference in yards per carry as a quarterback, which I think is pretty impressive. Bucky Irving's right behind him, Charbonnet's third. So you know they they're but all they're all guys that can break it loose at any time. Charbonnet's second in conference in yards. It's there's there's gonna be a lot going on. A lot of action. Do you guys think if uh, DTR wasn't on television at 7.30 p.m. every Saturday, he'd be higher than number five in, in the in the Heisman rankings? It's That's, a toss-up. Yeah. I say probably yes, because I do think Pac-12 players do lose out with the, the late kickoffs. They definitely do. They definitely McCaffrey do. lost out on the Heisman. I don't even want to get into that, but I think he was robbed when he was in college. Um, but, I mean, you also have guys like Hendon Hooker who are absolutely lighting it up. He just beat Alabama. I mean, it speaks for itself. You know, you have you have Stetson Bennett, you have Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. There's there's a lot of talented passers around the country, but DTR is right up there with him. And and as a as a as 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 well as a passer, he's an elite athlete. He played. I mean, he played receiver at Bishop Gorman before he was starting quarterback as his senior. He only started one year as a senior before coming to UCLA. And he was sitting behind Tate Martell, started at wide receiver leading up to that. The guy can hurdle you. He can juke you out and make you fall, you know fall out of your cleats. He's an insane athlete. Yeah, I, th- I think he might be viewed a little bit higher in, in the Heisman rankings. I mean, I'm looking at his stats, just what he's done so far this year. Bruins, of course, six and zero halfway through their their season, and he's already got more than half of his pa- his total passing yards from last year, and the third highest passing yards of his five seasons in college already this season. Um, he only had 21 touchdowns total. That's a um, in both 2019 and 2021, and he's already got 15 this year. Um, so he's arguably playing some of the best football we've seen. And that's, bef- I mean, we knew when he was coming back that he's a talented quarterback. We knew when he was coming back for his fifth year that UCLA was 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 lucking out. And now to see him already having arguably the best 
or not even arguably statistically the best um, year of his career, I think he should be ranked higher. I think he should be getting some national attention. In fact, I think he'd be in the Heisman conversation <laughs> ahead of Caleb Williams, who I know is mm. also tearing it up in SoCal. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the last above average UCLA quarterback since Brett Hundley. Probably how many yeah. years ago was that? So Maybe five years ago. Josh Rosen. Josh, yeah. Josh, oh, Josh Rosen. Rosen. Yeah, nine <laughs> mistakes. The guy that said of, yeah. the guy that said it was too hard to both play football and go to school at the same time. <laughs> That's true. But, but I want to circle it back to Bucking, uh, Bucky Irving. Kiju, you mentioned him. Man, I mean, I'm so excited to watch these running backs go, him and Zach Charbonnet. If you look at the stats, Charbonnet has 200 yards and about four TDs more than Bucky Irving, but you wouldn't know it by watching him play. I mean, the guy, I was talking to Brady before the episode, he leads Power 5 schools in forced missed tackles throughout the season. Bucky does? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're, you're going to see a lot of points. I'm Score prediction, I'm thinking somewhere in the 49-42 range. That'd be high scoring. Yeah, uh, but what an opportunity. Man, what an opportunity for Lanning, for Bo Nix. Because if you go outside the Pac-12, people who watch Oregon, I think you, know, you ask somebody in the South what they think, and they're going to mention that Georgia game. Yeah. And this is a chance to right the ship. Top 10 matchup. Put it on the resume. You it'll know. be at twelve thirty too, so it'll be on TVs everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. No, I, I mean, I, I pretty much. I mean, it's an opportunity to make a statement. Yeah, you know, and set the tone for what this program is going to look like going forward. One other thing, uh, like Ben and Williams was talking about how good Zach Charbonnet is, and like you know what you said, breaking those tackles. He's so good at making that first man either miss or slip off of you. And just, I mean, before even hearing the stat that Bucky has, you know, leads the Pac-12 in, in broken tackles. I test. He doesn't let the first guy tackle him ever, mm-hmm. ever. Like against uh, against uh, Stanford, we were watching it, Brady. I it was absolutely insane. I don't think one time he let the first guy tackle him, and it wasn't like it wasn't like uh, a tough tackle. I mean, it was a tough tackle too. He was like you know keeping his center of balance, putting his hand on the ground, yeah. keeping himself up. These were really tough moves that he was making. So going back to it, I do think that you know Oregon practices against the running back who doesn't have a similar build to Charbonnet, but maybe, you know, plays in a similar way. You know, Charbonnet's much bigger than than Bucky is, but they both are very good at breaking those tackles. And, you know, Bucky probably brings a challenge to the Oregon Oregon defense that Charbonnet will mimic on Saturday. Yeah, there's fast, there's powerful, and there's shifty, right? Bucky is fast, and he's shifty. Uh, Charbonnet is, is more the powerful and fast. Personally, I'd rather have fast and shifty but there's really nowhere to go wrong with these two running backs. I think it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, you mentioned score prediction 49-42. I think that's pretty, pretty accurate, but honestly, I could see it going either way. Um, I think it's going to be high scoring. Which team? I think whichever team scores last is going to win this football game. Why don't we do predictions to, to finish off the show? We'll start with you, Kiji. Um, I do like 49-42. I'm going to say I'm going to drop it down a little. I'm going to go 42-35. And I agree, the team that has the ball last will probably win the game. Okay. I'm going to stick with 49-42 Ducks. Big game from Bucky Irving and a big game from Chase Coda. Revenge game. (laughs) Keep your eye on him. If you're going to make me put a number on it, um, I'm going to say 41-35. Originally, my gut said UCLA, but we're talking a lot about this Autzen crowd. I think this this school is excited to have a game here that matters, and I think that the Ducks are going to come out on top. Oregon hasn't lost a home game. 22, 22 straight wins at home. Does it end this week? I don't I don't know. I, I lean it does not end this week. I think Oregon wins this game. I'm going to say I'm going to stick with the spread. 
you know, great teams cover, and Oregon has started to inch towards that. You know, I don't want to give a commentator's curse on their cover, but I'm going to go with 48-41. Oregon wins, just barely covering the six-point spread. Uh, because if Oregon wins this game, I think we can call them a great team. I do. Oh, I agree. Sure. Mm-hmm. They just need a complete game. And and to add on to your Auten win streak that you're talking about, they're also five and zero in top ten matchups. I would love to see six and zero. I really think it happened. I trust in Lanning and his staff, and I know this team will be ready to play. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we'll be, be back next week after this big matchup. I'm excited for game day. I hope you guys are. <laughs>